If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. It's great to hear the excitement once again. You ever wondered if the things that you do in this life really matter? You ever wonder as somebody that knows Christ whether or not you really can reach people the way that you ought to? Have you ever wondered the years spent with certain individuals that you've attempted to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ if they were in vain or not? I think every one of us that has wanted to follow Christ has thought that way a time or two, maybe even more than that. We've wondered whether or not the things that we do really matter. I think everybody, as, as Jordan Peterson says many times, is searching for the meaning of life. Every one of us, at the end of the day, steps back and has to look at the world and say, does it matter what I do? Is there meaning behind why I'm here? Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the point of ministry and that it can be meaningful and it is meaningful before God. This morning we're going to look at three things specifically here in Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at number one, the addition, verses 1 through 5. Number two, the call, verses 6 through 10. And number three, the hospitality, verses 11 through 15. Number one, the addition, verses 1 through 5. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, this would be Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul here is commissioned by the church after that split with Barnabas over John Mark to continue in the ministry. That is how we know that this was not a sinful separation, if you will, or a point of contention to the point of bitterness where the church still commissioned Paul to go ahead in his ministry. Paul travels with now a new partner in Silas. And he more, more than likely passed through the Cilician gates to Derby and Lystra. In Lystra, he meets a disciple that we just read about here named Timothy, who has an exceptional reputation. Exceptional reputation. He's well spoken of, causing Paul to want to bring him along on his missionary journey as well. So the question for us as we, as we break this up here and just kind of take a look at who Timothy really is, how good is our reputation? I mean, if you were to ask yourself, how is my reputation right now, what would people say? Would others that didn't know us personally be impressed by what others would say about us that do know us? You see, Timothy here, he was a faithful man. He was a man that others were absolutely impressed with his character. When people look at us, would they be able to see, for us men, he's a faithful servant of the church? She's an incredible lady that always cares for others and goes out of her way to help those that are struggling in the church. If you only heard what they've gone through in life, you'd be more impressed by where they are today. 
You see, all of us have different testimonies. All of us come from a different backdrop. We have a lot of things behind the scenes that many others do not know about us. But what we are as a reputation is based on how we've responded to the events in our lives and how we've lived those things out. You see, what would be said of us if someone were to come by, let's say the Apostle Paul came by and asked somebody in the church about you? What would be said? Would anyone be impressed not just by your social status or economic status, but would they be impressed with your faithfulness and devotion to Christ? You know, that guy, he really loves God because I see it in the way that he loves his wife and his children passionately. You know, that, that woman is absolutely mind-blowing how much she loves the Lord. She always has other ladies over to discuss the things of Scripture. Timothy grew up here in this text with a Greek father and a Jewish mother. It seems that his faith was passed down specifically by his mother and grandmother, as we see in other texts. Timothy essentially means precious to God. Precious to God. A few facts about Timothy. Timothy committed to the Lord from what seems to be an early age as soon as he heard of who Christ was. Possibly from Paul's first missionary journey. Paul found it worth investing into this young man like Timothy because of the leadership quality that he had already seen in him that others reported to him about. Timothy, here we see in the text that Paul circumcised Timothy. And I know we had just talked about the Jerusalem Council, so I want to make sure we pause and, and, and clarify some things. Timothy was circumcised by Paul not for salvific purposes, but to make ministering to the Jewish population effectual. It wasn't required for his salvation, but in order for his ministry to be effectual to the Jewish community, if he was to align with Paul, that mattered. Jews would have found Timothy as an apostate Jew due to his violation of the Mosaic Covenant with his mother being Jewish. What's interesting, though, and this is important, Paul did not find it important for the Greek disciple Titus, who we also have a book written to, to be circumcised since the circumstances themselves were very different. The Jews would have not given Paul an opportunity to even share the gospel if they knew he was traveling with somebody who they considered an apostate. Timothy becomes an important partner with Paul in ministry. In fact, you and I get to read two letters that Paul writes specifically to him as his young son in the faith. Timothy would later be an elder in the church who would appoint other elders to continue the work of ministry. He fought off many false teachers with Paul's encouragement as he continued to grow in his faith. What's interesting, and we, we find this in the, in the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, is Timothy is a little more reserved than Paul is in some areas. He's not as bold as Paul is. So Paul encourages him to be bold and to fight the good fight of faith and to confront others that oppose the Word of God. As with anyone, and Paul saw this, especially as, as he continued to minister with Timothy, it takes time to develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It took Timothy a lot of time to develop as a leader under the Apostle Paul, who treated him as his own son in the faith. A couple practical points for us to consider. The ministry responsibilities of Timothy changed along with his maturity 
in that church that he would minister. And that should happen with all of us. As we mature, our roles should change in some ways in the church. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, I, I, I find it fascinating to see younger people as they mature into adults as well as in their faith, the responsibilities are changing with them as well. They are given more responsibility as time goes on. Like, I would not give the same responsibility to Luke that I would give to somebody that's in their 20s here in this church. And that's not just due to an age difference, but also a maturity difference as well. Spiritual maturity. The importance of doing ministry, as we've seen here in the past, is that it's always vital to partner with others. Paul always found it important to partner with others. And yet, what, one of the tragedies of the church today is that so many try to do ministry all by themselves. They have an idea of what they want to do to reach people for Christ, and they decide that, I'm going to do it, I don't really need anybody's help, and if I do need someone's help and they don't really want to come alongside me, I'll still do it anyways. So, disaster waiting to happen. The Holy Spirit with Timothy, as with us, will give us the endurance to stand up for what matters rather than the spirit of fear that many of us have at times. An important point for all of us who have been in ministry a longer period of time is understanding what it takes in developing others and that it takes time for them to develop as well. One of the, one of the areas of frustration, I think, for those that have walked with God longer and have fought certain battles that younger people have not fought is they assume that these the younger generation needs to be able to understand what they've already gone through as well as they do. And sometimes there's a gap that needs to be filled there in understanding one another. The truth is, Paul understood that Timothy didn't have all of the experiences he's had already or even the knowledge that he possesses. But that didn't stop Paul from seeing who he was and who he, who he could become in Christ. Timothy, unlike others, was not ashamed to be partners with Paul. In fact, Timothy, even with his disposition not being as bold as Paul was, stood by Paul's side even when it was difficult for Paul. You see, Paul had men that you would consider bold and passionate that left him when he was imprisoned. You ever have anybody that you were impressed with and realized as soon as you really got to know them very well, that you really didn't want to be as close to them as you thought originally? Has that ever happened to any of us? There are certain people that, we, that have come along our lives, we want to actually get to know them better, and as soon as we've gotten to know them a little bit better, we're going, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to be their friend. I don't know if I want to be that close of a friend, if you will. Well, see, Timothy actually had a close relationship with Paul because they both understood that their service was to Christ. Others that had aligned with Paul, their desire was really to serve themselves not really to serve Christ. So when Paul was in prison, they were ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. They decided to step away from ministry with him. They didn't want to be associated with that. What's true is this, is that even for those of us that are faithful to Christ, there are moments we want to withdraw from others that are serving Christ because we don't want to be embarrassed by the results. Jesus' own disciples stepped away from him. So those moments occur in any of our lives at different points. 
Truth is, when we minister to other people, there will be others that may not exactly like our approach. This is a very common debate that's found in many churches. If you are following the Word of God, if you are not doctrinally you know, misaligning Scripture, you have nothing to fear when, you, when it comes to trying to reach others with Christ, to Christ. As soon as Timothy joins Paul and Silas in that region of Derby, he becomes an asset to that ministry. And we see here in the text, look at what it says here in the text. Verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You see, Timothy's partnership with Paul only blessed that ministry even more. Let me just strongly encourage you, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this later on. Do not attempt ministry on your own. Do not attempt ministry on your own. I can't say this enough. I am so grateful for the men and women in this church that have partnered alongside myself and others in ministering to others in this church and in this community. It is such a privilege to be able to know some of you and know that you have poured in time and effort behind the scenes to partner in order for us to have Grace Academy be what it is today. I don't forget that. I don't take that for granted. And unfortunately, at times you may feel alone, and I do at times as well. But the truth is, we are a community in Christ. And we are to partner with one another in ministering for His kingdom, for His sake. And when it becomes difficult, when you want to give up, when you want to say, well, that's it, I've tried, I didn't really, this didn't work out the way I wanted with this particular ministry, we don't just run. We recalibrate, we find maybe somebody that we might work better with, and we still continue the ministry. Paul continues his missionary journey. He comes to what is referred to as the Macedonian call. The call, number two, verses 6 through 10. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is what many refer to here in this text as the Macedonian call, if you will. When Paul gets a vision after having the door shut to him throughout Asia and Nicaea. What's incredible is that Paul gets a supernatural vision that appears to him of a man pleading for him to come to Macedonia, pleading for help. Paul's simple response to such a direct vision was immediate obedience. Immediate obedience with the conclusion that what he had seen was what God had wanted for him. Some practical things as we read this text here, and, and Paul's response to right away go after what God had called him to. At times when we wanted to know what we should do and where we should live, maybe work, go to school, etc., I don't know if you've ever considered those things, maybe moving, especially this past year. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind. I know it has for me. God may not just simply give us 
what he wants for us to do, he may simply tell us no directly on things that we are considering doing. No, you can't live there because you don't exactly know what kind of income you will have in that city. Although I don't know how many would want to move to New York City at this time. But. No, you can't go to that school. You'll be paying that back for the next 30 years of your life. Although some people still take that one. Your degree may not provide enough of a return. No, you can't work that job. You don't have the skill set that's required. And let's be honest, not all of the things that we would like to be in life do we have the skill set for. I mean, to this day, I really wish I would be able to play in the NHL, but that never happened. Ever since I was a little boy, I liked playing hockey. Still do. Still like beating my kids at it, too. But the reality is I know my skill set is not in that. God's called me to different things. With solid nose laid out for us in life, and God typically will do that, right? We will literally go, I kind of want to do this. And God just shuts that door right down. And just, no, it's closed. And one of the things I remember when we were discussing this with the youth group, I remember one particular week we were talking about it, and one of the dangers, and I think this is one of the dangers of um, the, how, how can I call this, the finding God's will for your life thing that all teenagers and youth groups go through, and everybody tries to teach on this, um, is that sometimes when you're trying to find God's will for your life, it's, it's staring you right in the face, and you have to start there, and then God will open the other things up. Um, and unfortunately, people want the mysterious without knowing the, revel the stuff that's already revealed. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's tragically one of the problems in the church today is that people assume that just because a certain door is open, that's automatically the door they need to walk through. You may actually have three open doors. I don't know how many of you know that. You can have three different options that are all viable options, and not all of them are equally good for you as a, as a believer in Christ. You may have an option of a better job over here, but a church community that you really can't be a part of. And yet, we pick and choose, right, based on what we find most valuable. What we don't do is we don't do what many of us have probably tried, is testing God. I don't know if you've ever done that. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. We've all had the Gideon moments, right? Like, Lord, prove that this is really you. Do this. Have this person come up to me today. That'll prove that you want me to do this. And unfortunately, a lot of us have this, I will serve you if you only, and you fill in the blank. We don't have Paul's heart. The affirmation from God will become a clear yes if the circumstances have been faithfully aligned with the word of God. God's not going to lead you to a place where you're going to be more separated from a good Christian community, ultimately. That would not be God's will for you, ultimately. Unless, of course, it's persecution and you have no other option. And that's going to be a forced hand that Paul actually went through. The affirmation from God will come with a clear yes in circumstances when they're aligned with the Word of God itself. An affirmation that we seek outside of communion with Him will lead us into potential ruin. I find this really probably one of the hardest things to try to communicate to my own children when we, we discuss what is it that God wants for us? What is it that God wants for Dad and, and how He leads you all and for the church and, and for the school itself? 
When Paul knew that he was called to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel, he knew what his mission was. The destinations that he went to, he didn't clearly have spelled out for him. God didn't give him a map and give him a bullet point. Here's one, two, three, four, five. Go through these in order, and you're going to finish your ministry. Paul literally had to de depend on the Holy Spirit's movement. Unfortunately for many of us, and, and I, I, I include myself in this statement, when God calls us to certain things, we try to find sometimes a less direct, you know, if you will, approach to certain ministries. We don't want to face some of the conflict that may be involved with what God calls us to. So we, we like the easier plan B at times, right? There's plan A, there's the one that God wants us to do, and then we have our modified version, right? Like, that's too much for me to do. Let me just modify it a little bit and do something that might be a little easier for me. See, some of us are unwilling to do the basics in ministering to others because we find that we know God's word too well to know that he's going to call us to more. The reason some people don't start a ministry is because they know what God's going to expect from them later on. I actually had this conversation with somebody just a, a month ago. Um, someone approached me and we were talking about uh, abortion and ministering to those um, at the abortion clinics. And I re my response was very direct and, and as honest as I could be about it. I said, you do realize God may be calling you to a lot more than you're signing up for with that ministry. You see, if we value life, what do you think that might mean? To just say, don't have an abortion? Or may God call us to possibly adopt if we want to go the full extent of what God calls us to? See, these are things that are dangerous for us to think through many times in the church because we like the comfortable Christian experience. The ones that call us to go beyond the comfort zone that we're already used to, we tend to go, well, God's called those people to that. I, I, I'm not at that level. I'm not at that stage of maturity. That's kind of what we, how we kind of explain that. The truth is God has called all of us to preach the gospel, just as he called Paul to do that. And at times it's going to be a lot harder, and other times it might be easier. But we don't shirk our responsibility based on how difficult the task is. I can assure you of one thing. I, only years after seeing what the Christian school has become have I understood how much work behind the scenes people made, sacrifices, and blood, sweat, and tears that went into planning and putting all this together. You don't value it until you've seen the process all the way through. You see, a lot of things that a lot of us don't quite understand clearly is it's easy to start something. It's very hard to keep going. There are a lot of people that have started so many attempts for God, and they don't have the desire that Paul had here to continue and immediately obey what it is that God wanted him to do next. Paul immediately obeys and what's incredible is he's met with open arms, at least at first. Number three, the hospitality. Verses 11 through 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out 
of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. You see, what's interesting is that Paul sails out with Silas and more than likely Luke, as Luke wrote the book of Acts. Apparently, no men were there at Philippi for Paul to share the gospel with during this prayer hour on the Sabbath. So he sat down and shared the gospel with the women. Once Paul shared the gospel with the Gentiles in any regions that he went, the Jews would at that point many times reject hearing from him again. So Paul started off by sharing this, typically as he did at all times, with the Jewish population. A woman named Lydia heard the message of Paul and came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. She follows in believer's baptism with her family and pleads for Paul, Silas, and Luke to stay with her. She begs for them to stay. The gospel affected her so much that she wanted to know more. She wanted Paul to sit down at the table and give her more of the Word of God. I don't know too many pastors that have been invited only to come to someone's house so that they could glean more of the Word of God specifically. At least, not that I'm aware of. A couple things to note here. Lydia was a seller of purple. She was a successful businesswoman. God is not opposed to you being successful financially. The gospel of prosperity is dangerous, but so is the gospel of poverty. God is not asking us to do one or the other and that both are equally important. They're both heretical views. Heretical views. The gospel of poverty is, is taught in many churches where people mismanage money and they assume that that's God's blessing somehow because they're really suffering for the faith. That's not true. If you're a poor manager of your, your finances, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. And you're not a better saint because you're poor because of poor life choices. Okay, That's absolutely heretical. Nor is it a sign of God's favor on you ultimately in the gospel sense if you have a lot of financial wealth. Neither one of those is an accurate reflection of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ's sacri sacrifice on our behalf, dying and rising again, and that's who we trust fully without anything we've done. Period. It is God and God alone that opens hearts, as we see here in the scriptures, that God opened Lydia's heart. There are so many things we can say and do, but if God does not open the sealed shut heart of a person that rejects him, there's not much that can be done. In fact, nothing can be done. What's incredible in this text is the response that Lydia has when she believes the gospel message. She wants Paul and company to stay with her. She begs them to stay. Hospitality is a direct response of a heart that's been changed by the gospel. Hospitality is a direct response to a heart that's been changed by the gospel. Listen, church, I know this is not always comfortable for us to go here. Some of you are more prone to opening your homes to others than, than others are. But let me tell you right now, one of the things that I think is lacking in the church at large is hospitality. Hospitality. 
It's lacking. We as Christians should use whatever God has given us as a means to bless others with and sharing Christ with them. And what better way than to invite for her, the Apostle Paul, to stay with them? I kind of picture it this way, that she has them sit there and, and, and Paul is expounding on the Word of God and she probably has friends and neighbors that come over. And they're curious as well. It's interesting, the text says, she persuaded us. I don't know, for some of us, if food is involved, it doesn't take much persuasion at all, right? Food? Yes, I'm there. The author is saying that she convinced us to stay at her, time, at her house for some time. What a great opportunity for Paul to minister to her. What a great opportunity to be able to hear more of God's word in the context of a local home. I want to encourage you, church, this summer. This is, this is really kind of where the rubber meets the road, and I really want you to, to take to heart something that I think some of you have an easier time with and some of you don't. Take the time this summer to be more hospitable to people. We're going to take a break from small groups for some time, and I don't want that to become an excuse to now no longer do anything but just chill and kick back this summer. I want you to take the opportunity to be hospitable for the kingdom, to advance the cause of Christ, to neighbors that don't know Christ, to those that are in the, need, in, in the church that need encouragement, and to those who you can glean from, as Lydia does here, with Paul and company. Make your house an opportunity for fellowship. Make your home if you will, the base for evangelism. Be bold in areas that maybe you have said, I'm not going to try that. Pastor Roman, yeah, his house is meant for that. That's fine. I don't know about me. Look, if your house can't be used that way, take somebody out to a meal. Make it a point in your budget to make this opportunity important to you. You see, so many of us don't realize that the things that we spend our money on, at the end of the day, if they were just a cup of coffee, means nothing. But if it's a cup of coffee at the table with somebody that we're sharing the gospel with, that means the world. That's an opportunity to advance the kingdom. If it's a cup of coffee that you and I get to share with somebody that's in need in the church that's hurting and broken and really at the end of the rope, then that matters. Take the time to appreciate and spend some time with older faithful saints in the church. Glean from them. Take the time to invite people like Pastor Rizzo over and learn from the depth, in-depth studies that he's done. I'm not saying that just because he's here. I think we miss out on a lot of things in this life when people are gone. There are certain people that I really wish I had an opportunity to be able to speak to once again. Take the time to use the opportunities God gives you 
to not waste your summer this year, but to make your home another opportunity to learn from other saints, to encourage other saints, to reach your neighbors for Christ, to reach that coworker you may have been talking to for quite some time. And you let them know, hey, you know what? I want to invite you to church this Sunday and afterwards if you can come to my house. I'd really love to spend some time with you. I want you at church to understand that this is not optional for us. This is to be the response of all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. As difficult as it is at times to, if you will, clean up the house. Believe me, you and I can all agree on this. It's not always fun to have to make sure that house is tidied up. But that's not what matters most. What matters most is what we've done for the kingdom and what we've done in trying to reach others for Christ. Please, please be in prayer for me. I have something specific that God's been kind of convicting me of, and it's going to require a little more boldness than I'm used to this summer. But I really would covet your prayers on that because I kind of want to do something I've never done in my neighborhood. Really, really, really need your prayers on that because as bold as I am, I still go, I think that's a little more than I'm comfortable with right now. We have so many incredible opportunities that we miss simply because we don't make them a priority. So in conclusion, does ministry mean anything to you? Does ministry mean anything to you? Does it matter to you that you have others that you've partnered with in the gospel? Listen, church, I know that I cannot do it on my own. I need other men to partner with me in reaching others. I'm grateful for the leadership that we have here in this church. And at times we may frustrate one another because we make different decisions at times that maybe all of us agree on. I can assure you of one thing, when it comes to the gospel message, we're aligned. It matters that Christ is preached. It matters that the word of God is clearly presented. Some of us are trying to do more solo style than we need to. We need to start realizing that there are others in the church that we can partner with in helping us in various ways that God has called us to minister. Listen, church, there may be some people in this church that need help in their ministry, and we need to be aware of that. An area that I know we can use help in the school is on the break times. It would be a huge benefit and help to us if even just one day a week some, someone can come alongside and maybe help that hasn't been able to yet. Those little things mean a lot. God called Paul to bring Timothy along as a partner, and he becomes one of the most faithful men in Paul's ministry. Do you find yourself always asking God to help you rather than asking him how you can serve him? You see, we're very self-focused. As much as we say that we're so spiritually minded, we're very self-focused when it comes to ministry. We want God to do things our way, in our timeline, according to the plan that we have set in motion, if you will. It's when you and I serve him unconditionally that he clearly reveals the opportunities that align with his word. How many conditions do you put on what God calls you to? Oh, God will do that when this is paid off. I'll work on this when this is done. 
And at times it is harder to minister, specifically if you have you know, younger children or some career transition. I understand God, God has us work through certain situations and we need to be, if you will, ready for certain things. But at times it's just nothing more than an excuse. And unfortunately some of us have the same excuses for years. None of that changes anything. The I don't have enough time excuse, some of us have used our whole lives. We've never had enough time. Never will. Everybody else has more time than we do. Don't assume a clear indication from God if you haven't cared to open God's word, prayed, or been to fellowship in the church. You're not going to get a clear indication from God if you haven't done those things. There are too many Christians that want to tell everybody what God's told them, and they haven't opened this book at all. Your, your self-deception is what you need to be concerned with. You're stepping into a trap, and you can't have a clear path from God if you've not been in His Word. It's impossible. When was the last time you opened your home as a ministry opportunity to others, church? When have we done that? When was the last time you invited someone to glean from them? You want to know more of what makes that person tick in the church. You want to get to know them at a deeper level. If you wanted to invite neighbors over, you can always, church, just as a way of reference, you can always invite someone from church that Sunday as well if it makes it too uncomfortable for you. It doesn't have to be you doing everything solo. I think one of the things that I regret probably over the years that I have not done enough is reach out to those neighbors that are closest to me, literally living next door. And when I, when I look at this text, when I see Lydia's response, when I see even what we've covered earlier in Acts and Dorcas, there's something about someone that's been changed by the gospel and their desire to want to have others get to know that that they need Christ themselves. People are longing for connection, church, after a year of separation. Be the tool that God can use. Be His hands and feet.